0: Hey everybody, welcome back. It's me, Matt Tinney, and
1: Jen Earhart.
0: <laughs> so we have uh, you know, been very busy lately. That's why we haven't been able to do much of the podcast. What's yeah. your excuse, Jen?
1: I've been real choked up about it, not being on here.
0: Have you? <laughs> yeah. Have you enjoyed your, your hiatus from <laughs> I have. podcasting?
1: I felt good. I felt no, free. It didn't.
0: <laughs> I feel bad. I was just having to put out just uh recordings from the knowledge network yeah yeah and i don't know if people enjoy just the recordings jen i think they miss you
1: yeah
0: <laughs> no they don't miss put the that podcast. pressure on me i'm putting it on you uh. <laughs> the uh you've been busy doing a uh, proposal right
1: yeah i've been working
0: yeah for the learning working sites Working
1: hard for my money um. have you
0: <laughs> <laughs> did you do any research for the learning sites or what well, they what are What does
1: that mean of course they did
0: i meant on um, <laughs> what a learning site is prior for us submitting Um, Do you want to explain what a learning site is?
1: I guess I could. I think I can take a stab at it. Um, So what Matt is referring to is um, the Council of State Governments Justice Center um, partners with the Bureau of Justice Assistance um, to offer what are known as um, law enforcement mental health learning sites. And right now, currently, I think there's six total. There's six um, examples of mental health learning sites are. Let's
0: see if you can name all six. Oh, I, have I them can't. Right here. LAPD. A one. Okay.
1: Houston. Yep. Um, Portland, Maine. Yeah. Ah, uh, there's one in Florida, but it's what, like a university.
0: What, what university thing?
1: Oh, is it South Florida? No,
0: nope. University of Florida. Okay. Okay.
1: Gainesville. It actually just says University of Florida. I'm not okay. sure. Um, there's one so in Wisconsin. No, two. You're missing two. Wisconsin? Yep. Okay. Where? Is it Madison?
0: Yep. Yes. So oh, now you're just fun. missing one. I'm
1: missing one. Um,
0: Wait, where did you say it was in Maine? Did is it Portland, Maine? Maine? Okay,
1: yeah. Yeah. Shoot, who's number six? Is it in the Midwest? Mm-mm. Who are the events? So it must be. What part of the country is left out?
0: I don't know what part you would call that middle coast.
1: Middle coast. Yeah,
0: it's what? kind of the north south section of the country.
1: Okay, I have no idea who number six is.
0: Salt Lake City, Utah.
1: Salt Lake City. You were nowhere Jeez. close. I wasn't going to get that one. Would you I call that, that. mid coast? No, I don't know what they call that, but not Middle Coast. <laughs> like we need Coast to go back long. to geography uh, I like for middle you. Coast. <laughs> middle we're in
0: the Middle Coast area. We are? Yeah.
1: Matt, don't. Are you serious right
0: now? Yeah, we're in the middle of something. Matt. What?
1: Did you take geography, social studies? Yeah. <laughs> what, did you pay attention?
0: Somewhat.
1: Yeah, and you think Albuquerque, New Mexico, is in the middle, middle coast. coast of the United States?
0: We're in the middle of both coasts. I
1: can't take you seriously. Right?
0: There's the East Coast, and there's a West not... Coast, and there's a the Middle that, Coast. We're the in the mi- Middle Coast.
1: You're literally making that up. There's no such no. thing as Middle Coast. Okay, is
0: there an East Coast? Yes. Is there a West Coast? <laughs> no. Is there a West Coast? Yes. What's in between those two coasts? The Middle Coast.
1: I don't. That that doesn't make any sense.
0: Well, what, well where I are hear we? right now. Okay. How would you say where we We're are? We're in then?
1: the southwestern United States of America,
0: which is mid-coast. All right. So,
1: past that, uh, maybe we should do like a podcast on just US geography sometime. But <laughs> I think we should and Anyways, you'll notice that I'm right. Initially, these were the six sites that were chosen right. to be sort of the leaders um, in uh, mental health programs for law enforcement across the country. So they call them Police Mental Health Collaboration Programs, PMHC.
0: Wow, yeah. you're on top of it.
1: Um, so these are the places that, you know. How about
0: this? Do you know when it started? Oh. I'll say right here on this one. So what I'm looking at, and uh-huh. if you guys are listening, you're in law enforcement, if you haven't seen this yet, the Bureau of Justice Assistance, or BJA, released a police mental health collaboration toolkit. Yes. and You can just type in like PMHC toolkit and you'll mm-hmm. find it. And in it, they, they go over the learning sites. And it's it's nice. Like if you're trying to start a program... The BGA can help fund getting you to go and do site visits, getting information from them. So it's, a, it's an easy way for you to have access to these kind of programs that you don't get elsewhere for free or very mm-hmm. low cost. I'm pretty sure it's free. I yeah. think they fund people to go That's out. That's the
1: whole point of, of the learning site really is so that, you know, they can spread their expertise, you know, um, not spread it, but, you know, you can go and travel and learn about it. And what's great about them is obviously the six, those are all very different Police departments culturally, regionally, who they serve, you know, their population, their target population is going to be much different. So it's sort of there's a learning site out there or hopefully uh, for everyone. And if there's not, um, what we've been working on is um, the BJA and the Council of State Governments Justice Center just released a new call for learning sites. Um, so they're opening this up to, to new programs, um, and APD's behavioral health division applied to be one of those programs.
0: Yeah. And we'll see about that.
1: Yeah. Find out in November yeah. this month. I yeah. hope we
0: make it. Me too. If not, anyone's listening, we're still here. If you guys are looking for information, we'll send you still <laughs> policies. Still... Well, I'm just saying, I don't want people to think that they can't, can't uh, oh, ask, you know, yeah. if you're looking for policies or training, you should ask any law enforcement agency. It should be open. Mm-hmm. And we are very open on that one. We'll send you guys all the stuff that we have. When do you think this started?
1: Has it been around for, oh, I knew, I read this. I'm,
0: I'm actually surprised on this one.
1: It's less than 10 years.
0: It is less than 10 years.
1: Is it seven years?
0: It is seven years.
1: <laughs> is it really? It is. You're lying. Oh my God. I, I have... can't
0: believe you just guessed that. Honestly,
1: I I did not – okay, so I obviously read all this when I was applying, but I have it like – I don't have it in front of me. No,
0: she does not. I can attest to that. I I have it in front of me.
1: There was like a jeopardy for this. I would crush it. Yeah,
0: 2010. I, for some reason, thought they were around a lot longer. That's still relatively new. Yeah. And it is interesting because, you know, Houston has a great training program. Los Angeles has a great uh, program altogether if you guys are looking for any information. But I bet Los Angeles and Houston's police departments, they have to be in the top ten for size. Those
1: are some of the largest cities. Yeah. Uh, So it must be.
0: I can't think about how big Portland, Maine is.
1: I know zero about, zero information about Portland, Maine.
0: (laughs) I know that there's a movie about it called Portlandia, or a TV series.
1: Oh, Matt, no. That's Portland, Oregon.
0: That's not in Maine? I thought Oregon was a city in Maine. I thought Portland, Oregon, Maine. Are you lying to me right now?
1: You're being funny. You're making a joke. <laughs> no, I uh, this is my
0: geography coming up. What, what's your guess on Portland, Maine's city size?
1: I have no idea. I have nothing to... Hey, this is what you do. You build me up. I know all the answers to these questions, and you ask me something. Well, that was I no a great...
0: Idea. Take a guess. Portland, Maine. City size.
1: It's really tiny, right? I've never heard of it before. I don't know. Before. Anyone
0: from Portland, Maine right here, how dare she? How da- I don't know how they talk. That. I don't think it's how, like that. How dare she? <laughs> I'll see you in Portland, I Maine. I do
1: think that they probably eat a lot of lobster. My. And everyone, because it's on the water, right? Portland, Maine. You just
0: told me that we're not mid-coast. So I don't know if I should believe it.
1: I think they probably eat lobster. And everyone probably has a boat.
0: I will tell you when I typed in, so I'm using the good old Google. I did Portland, Maine, city size. I'll tell you the first thing that popped up was a picture of boats.
1: Yeah. It's a coastal, mm-hmm. northeastern town.
0: All right. So, give me a guess, population size. Oh,
1: God. This is going to make me sound dumb. Um, no, well, it's really been, tiny, right?
0: You've never been there. Well, I don't know your definition of tiny.
1: Is it
0: like... Oh, no. Is it like... <laughs> I don't want to guess. <laughs> Why are you
1: so okay. worried? It's... uh. How, wait, tell me how many people live in Albuquerque, and then I will answer that question.
0: you want me to tell you by, by Google standards?
1: Yeah. Give me Albuquerque, New Mexico, and then I will give you a guess.
0: Because this is not... I know I'm not looking at metro area.
1: Okay. Because it
0: asked the metro area for this other one. So this one on the good old Google says Albuquerque is uh, 550000
1: Okay, so it's much smaller than that. I'm going to go... I go hundred and fifty thousand for Portland. Is that that's probably still too high?
0: That is too high.
1: You know what's weird? It's like this is the smallest city I've ever lived in, Albuquerque. So I'm like, how does that guy? Kind of how nice is this the smallest?
0: This can't be smallest. This
1: is the smallest city I've ever lived in. Isn't Memphis smaller than this? No, Memphis is bigger than Albuquerque.
0: I don't know about that. Yeah. I'm have to look this yeah one up. Google it. How about Madison? What do you think Madison's a? You well, have a better that's of Madison. tricky,
1: yeah. Because Madison's How about a what's in town?
0: Madison that I like.
1: Uh, beer cheese.
0: I do not like. I don't know what beer cheese is. Uh, hockey. No.
1: Uh, the University of Madison or Wisconsin.
0: <laughs> I really love the University of Wisconsin. Is there
1: something there you love, and I? Yeah. Is there some?
0: Do. It's one of the foundations of Trek bicycles oh. and one of the World Cups.
1: That got boring.
0: Wow. <laughs> wow.
1: One of the, it's a, it's what? Sorry. One I of started to fall. Defa- no,
0: I'm just kidding. How? <laughs> I don't even know why we're doing this podcast. Again.
1: <laughs> I know. I got real sassy. All right. So, so, what
0: do you think your population of Memphis is? This is a Big City. I
1: don't, whoa, whoa. how did you Google it?
0: I Googled Memphis population. <sighs>
1: 800? Seven. Six.
0: Six hundred
1: and fifty. It's still smaller than Albuquerque, though. I still.
0: No, this is Memphis. Memphis yeah. is still bigger, you mean?
1: Yes. Sorry.
0: Yeah. Okay. Barely.
1: Barely, but it. Yeah.
0: I guess you did win your point. I,
1: I think that what throws me off about Albuquerque is how spread out it is. Right. Yeah. It's just different.
0: I'm always surprised. So it says here that Atlanta mm-hmm. only oh, has uh, 472,000.
1: That can't be right
0: probably in the city it's probably more metro area
1: yeah i think maybe the way we're googling it is the way you're googling it is wrong or
0: madison what do you think
1: madison wisconsin did i already guess this one no well it's a college it's a really big college what did I say for? Oh no.
0: You said all right. I'm going two
1: on this one too. You're going what? I'm going two hundred.
0: Close two hundred fifty. Okay, That was cool. Good. That was good. Cool. Salt Lake City. No idea. Take a guess.
1: Is it a? I've never been there. Um, is there's a university there? I, think I don't know so. why I'm using that as my like measure. Three hundred.
0: Two hundred. Okay. Portland, Maine. Here we go. Yeah. You're back to it. What is it?
1: Is there like 60 people there? I don't know.
0: 60 people? There's more than 60.
1: <laughs> it's less than 100,000. It
0: is less than 100,000.
1: And it, did I say 50,000? And you said no. No. Higher. You
0: said 200,000. <laughs> it is out here in the good world of Googly. Yeah. It's 66,937. Cool. I, for some reason, think is going to be much bigger.
1: They probably all know each other.
0: <laughs> I doubt that. I don't
1: know what that means. I'm sorry. <laughs>
0: I doubt that. I want to go see Portland now.
1: I think they probably, it's just like lobster and boats. It's my good guess.
0: You know what? They have a lot there too. Hmm. Cyclocross.
1: Oh, okay. But you like,
0: oh, no one likes that. <laughs> and that's two different places on this learning side that probably like bicycling.
1: Yeah. That I've offended? Yep. Uh-oh.
0: Do you want to offend anything else? Uh. Oh, you know, Houston just won the World Series. You want to make fun of them? No,
1: I really am happy about that.
0: Okay. Let's see.
1: <laughs> Despite, yeah. I, you know, as long as it wasn't L.A. So.
0: Wow. That just defended L.A. Yeah, you just defended L.A. All right, so we covered all our bases. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Do you want to say something about people of Florida or anything?
1: Oh, well, I don't think I even need to say wow. anything. We already know. <laughs> wow.
0: And what about Salt Lake?
1: You know, I'm neutral about Salt Lake. Really? I have no, I have nothing to say about it.
0: You know what I'm curious about? I don't know if it's all of Utah or if it's just Salt Lake, but don't they have a... Um... Alcohol banned? Like, you can't have alcohol no beverages idea. with a certain alcohol content? Oh,
1: isn't... Well, Salt Lake is, like, incredibly Mormon? Right. Is I that think, right? yeah. Yeah.
0: Or it's very religious-based, uh, yeah. but I'm wondering if they have a reduction in, like, DWIs or DUI. Because mm. we have a high rate here, but I'm wondering oh, yeah. if their strict laws actually change anything.
1: hmm I don't know.
0: Well, we went off on a tangent on this one.
1: Yeah, I don't
0: know where we started. We started with oh, the learning site, so there's six. Site. 2010 started that. Yeah. Interesting. I don't remember this coming up. I remember when I started with looking more into this style of policing. That was one of my goals. Mm-hmm. To be part of a learning site.
1: Well, one day.
0: One day. St. Paul, Minnesota, they're starting up a CIT program. Woo That's pretty cool.
1: I'd like to go to St. Paul, Minnesota.
0: I would, too. They're trying to come down here to... Check us out, but I think it's awesome. They I got a like grant.
1: That's my people up there.
0: St. Paul's your people.
1: Well, like I just love the Midwest. Like that's, that's just like good, hearty people. <laughs> like
0: <laughs> good. Well, and what's the Southwest?
1: Oh, I don't uh, know.
0: Yeah, you're just going to offend everybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what? Oh, if you're in the Midwest, you're good. For you're t- good. In Jen's mind.
1: Oh gosh, no. I I'm just saying, like, it's just like good, good, hardworking people. I guess just how I think of the midwest but southwest is great too i'm sure there's lots of hard-working people this way
0: wow wow i love the southwest
1: yeah it's beautiful that's my thing with the southwest like great skies beautiful weather beautiful mountains and it's it's getting cold now
0: you are literally wearing like cold weather gear
1: okay so to be fair this is not cold
0: that is cold weather gear.
1: This yeah because
0: I'm sweating looking at Is that flannel?
1: Well, it's not like real flannel. It's flannel like.
0: What? Well, like it's not like flannel like.
1: It's not like uh
0: That is flannel. What are you talking about? Is
1: that? I thought flannel was like a particular kind of material. Well, I don't know that this, this is just hot. like got the design of flannel on it.
0: What would you call that design? What is that design called?
1: Flannel. I just said that.
0: Is it flannel design? I think so. It is called something. You know like who
1: it. would know? The wonderful people of St. Paul. They probably wear flannel a lot.
0: <laughs> they probably do. It's cold up there. But I guess yeah, you came from Chicago. Yeah, the cold is different.
1: Yeah, yeah. it's much. I one of the reasons we moved here
0: is so you get warm. to get away from.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to have like one year where I just had like more than three months where I felt warm. <laughs> like I just wanted like a good six months of being warm. Yeah, and I found that here.
0: Will this be your first winter here?
1: This is my second winter in albuquerque okay yeah what's
0: the difference between winters here versus the midwest then
1: well snow i i tell you the greatest thing about moving to albuquerque is not having to get up 20 minutes early and go dig my car out of snow and like scrape the ice with my big coat on and put my boots on like i, I guess that's, that's not
0: a thing i've ever had to deal with yeah. i
1: hated The snow was pretty, and it was cool, and, like, I think it's, like, oh, we're all in this together because it's so awful, and, like, oh, just, you know, everyone's out there in the snow, but really, it's just awful after a while, and you just get tired of doing it, and you're, like, I just, I mean, people who have garages, obviously, that's, like, you're doing it, but I lived like, in the city, so that wasn't very common unless you had the money for it. I was
0: going to say, but that's expensive if you have a garage. Yeah. Or even a parking space there.
1: My first year in Chicago, we had a garage, and I paid... I think $175 a month to park my car in it, but I would only park it in there in the winter. So we were like three months when (laughs) it was outside. How far
0: was it to get to the garage?
1: So my first year there was an apartment with it underneath, so I could just take down the elevator. But when I, okay, so it had it there. Yeah. So that was really nice. But when, you know, I didn't have that accessibility. I just had like street parking. And so I'd have to park like, six blocks away from my house because i'm just in this wherever you can find a spot yeah. parallel parking in the snow sucks by the way
0: i think it sucks in general it
1: sucks in general um and then just walking six blocks in my car to have to dig it out it's yeah. just awful And like putting the cat litter behind my tires and like you know
0: <laughs> when we were uh nils and i went to new york and we were visiting his buddy and his buddy lives in the city he's a mm-hmm. lawyer ben and uh he's like oh i got a car because we went to a uh Islanders game during the playoffs to see Islander versus Pittsburgh. And uh, he's like, oh, I have a car. And I was like, oh, where do you park? He's like, oh, you know, you have to get a garage here. You have to pay for it. I think his monthly bill was like 800 bucks for the garage oh, there. Man. And I was like, is it close to your house? He's like, no, i got to take the subway. The <laughs> right. I'm like, What? Like, you pay that much just to have a car that you store? Right, that you don't use that often? Yeah, Yeah. on special occasions, like, we're going to New Jersey. Yeah. It was strange to me.
1: I got so fed up with it that, like, so I took, like, bus or train to work. Yeah. So the only time I got out of my car was, like, on the weekend when I wanted to, like, go to the grocery store and I didn't feel like taking my bags on the bus. Yeah. After that, I was just like, I'm just not worth driving.
0: Also, traffic here has to be better.
1: Traffic is so much better.
0: I feel like anywhere in Albuquerque, you can get to in 15 minutes.
1: You can't. And it's, what's crazy is how spread out it is, but it still holds true that like no matter where you are, you can get somewhere. I'd say 20 minutes.
0: 20 minutes is probably safe, though.
1: From one end of town to the other.
0: 15 minutes if you're in a cop car. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> no. What about the people? Do you feel like people are more... I'm not going to say nicer cause I think people are nice everywhere, but more... Yeah. Communicative or talkative out here, the Midwest.
1: So I think what's cool about the Midwest is there is that like Midwest charm. Like people are nice, and some people are friendly, and like it's just like it's just a different vibe, right? But like here, people are overly friendly sometimes. To me, what I would I would put it like past hey, how are you, to, like, okay, I don't need to hear the whole, like, it's just, like, people go on and on and on. I
0: hear that all the time. Yeah, it's like, ah. I don't know if you're the one that told me this or someone told me this. And so, I mean, just lately I've been doing a lot of traveling, like, went to, you know, Louisiana, Florida, Mm -hmm. and then Philadelphia. And I started to notice just the different cultures. I will tell you who it seems like the people are very similar here. Mm -hmm. Out of those three, Louisiana, Lafayette, Louisiana, we went to – Oh my god! Now I'm blanking where we went in Florida.
1: Fort Lauderdale.
0: Fort Lauderdale, and then uh, Philadelphia. Okay. Who do you think is the most common, in my opinion, to hear?
1: Uh, I'm gonna go Fort Lauderdale.
0: Nope. Philadelphia. Philly blew my mind.
1: I just I'd have never been to Philly, but I think I just have this weird impression of Philly that like maybe like that it's just like a kind of rough city that no one would. Really and maybe really
0: it's to. the area we were, which yeah. I know we were like in. a probably the tourist well we yeah. were in the touristy area but the weather was nice like mm-hmm. out here there was no, nothing bad but like the actual locals just walking around hey how's it going are you guys from here No, oh let me tell you about this what? all just super friendly random those were hired actors <laughs> to that's portray, not like, really nice city. yeah they're like
1: <laughs> people are moving out of philly they're like how do we get people back they're like let's hire actors to like go around and act like it, nice people it
0: would not surprise me actually <laughs> right? on it Because, oh, my gosh, the police there, the Mm -hmm. police presence, it was huge. Tons of cops everywhere.
1: But that was for the conference, right? It could
0: have been for the conference, but then I actually looked it up. Because I'm like, I wonder, like, you know, the recruiting process in Philly and Mm -hmm. how big it is. They said they're the fourth, on their website, fourth largest law enforcement agency. Really? Philadelphia. That's not who
1: I, I would have pictured again, like, I would say NYPD, Chicago, LAPD, Houston, Dallas. Because I know Philly's not the fourth largest city.
0: No. So that's what surprised me.
1: Maybe people just really, like, go into that as a career. But also,
0: just... you know, there's so much historical stuff. They might hire yeah. more for just the protection of that.
1: That'd be a cool place to be a cop.
0: Tons of uh, bicycle cops. Tons. Yeah. But that was probably for the conference. Use yeah. It for, like, a ride control, things like that if it comes mm-hmm. up. But it was interesting. It yeah. really was. We met one of the mayor's assistants. Mm-hmm. He took us to the press club, a secret little club. It was interesting. I bet. It was it was interesting. I actually really like Philly. It nice sounds
1: people. like ICP was super fun.
0: Yeah. There was a lot of cool people there too. It yeah. was interesting meeting the different chiefs and seeing the size of law enforcement. Mhm. Like in one of the presentations we had, uh they kind of just did a quick poll of, you know, raise your hand if you're a an agency of 50 under. People raise their hands, you know, mm-hmm. all the way up to like if you are 20,000 under and stuff, you know, we had the Q's in there. I guess 20, is way much. I exaggerate yeah. that one, but it was interesting to see you got chiefs from um, small, small, small departments right. in my mind to larger departments all yeah. together and kind of looking at the common goals. It was interesting.
1: It was cool that you got to go.
0: Yeah, We got to meet a lot of people, learn a lot. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. IACP. There's next a year? lot of a uh, lot of police toys there.
1: Where is IACP next year? Just curious. Do you know? Nope. Okay. Cool. Florida. No way.
0: I think it's in Florida. No way. They rotate through different uh oh, six geez. different sites.:
1: What is this obsession with Florida?
0: You know where else they have it?
1: Um,
0: Your town, Chicago.
1: Chi City
0: Orlando, Florida. Orlando. It. it was interesting. tons of people. Mm-hmm. saw chiefs from uh, Jamaica.
1: Oh, yeah, from that's Italy, cool.
0: from a bunch of different uh, uh-huh. African countries. It was really, I was surprised on how actual international it was.
1: Yeah, I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't either. I thought that was just in the title, mm-hmm. and it didn't mean anything. It was just it, people from here. No,
0: and it was, like, packed. Yeah. I mean, it was huge. It was surprising. There's helicopters inside.
1: Helicopters.
0: Did I show you the picture of the, the pee pad?
1: Oh, my God. What is that?
0: So, like, tell okay, me if can you've I, ever seen
1: this. All right. So when you say pee pad, what I mean, do you urine. think I'm thinking of? Okay. I mean, you're I didn't know if the pee pad was like a launch pad for a helicopter. <laughs> well, like for
0: pee for police. It's your <laughs> yeah. police pad. This is
1: my pee pad. Yeah. No, no so I'm thinking we're... of like doggy pads.
0: Yeah. So you've seen this.
1: Well, I have a dog that I doggy train you by these little Okay. No, it's not that.
0: It's not those. Okay. It's not like a flat diaper, like which those are pretty much.
1: No, these are like little, not a flat diaper. It's like a little thing you put on the floor. Right, but yeah. it's like
0: cloth and it absorbs. Yes. Yeah, it's like a flat diaper. It's like a little diaper. Oh, okay. I've
1: out? never seen a diaper. Well,
0: all right. <laughs> I'll bring you a diaper. One of my girls used. Pass. It and you can see it. <laughs> So, I'm walking. I'm like, what the heck is this? Because in the mm-hmm. middle of the conference is a square. I don't know. It's probably like three feet by three feet. Perfect square. A fat gr- fat, fake grass. It's like, this is weird. Okay. And then I look up and there's a sign that says, please... Please let your service dogs use this area for their Aww. nature break. Okay. Like, there's just a little pee area in the middle there. I used it. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> you did not. I did. I think
1: that's cool and sweet.
0: It is. I've never seen that before.
1: So, like, wait. Who, what type of dogs? Like a service dogs. So, not like the...
0: Police dogs? Yeah. I guess they could have used them. <laughs> I don't, I'm glad
1: that, it, like, I did this and you know what I meant.
0: Yeah. Arr. I wish I could describe what you do. It looks like Arr. you're... you're Holding on to two horses in a chair. Yeah, like, like a this.
1: police dog. <clears throat> um, you know, they had
0: police dogs there, a lot of them.
1: I have to, you know, I, I love the police dogs. I always want to, like, go over to do them. I know that. that's a big, big... I knew that before working here, but it's hard to just, like, you see them and you're like... Ooh.
0: There's, like, so many different kinds of police dogs, and yeah. each agency uses them for different things. Right. Ours are apprehension dogs, so... Yeah. They're not uh, the nicest they're dogs. They're not the nicest.
1: Oh, fourth. thing.
0: But I think the next time you see one, just go give it a big hug.
1: Yeah, no, I totally will. I do think we should probably adopt a dog for the unit. I will go ahead and like go on the record for
0: that. What do you like? Have it? I don't here, know what it would do. Building?
1: I don't. It would like just help people. I don't know. Yeah, like a therapy dog. Just but like,
0: I actually saw an article where some police department got a therapy dog. Yeah. For the unit.
1: I know the, the fire department here, they have, they have their own, they have a dog. We have therapy
0: hand? dogs that come to this building all oh, the time. Oh, don't get me started. But we do.
1: Yeah, but those aren't, that's different. How know. is
0: it Because it's not ours?
1: Well, yeah, because they leave. And then also, like, we need our own. Those are like Who home. would
0: take care of it?
1: Uh, I mean, I'll throw my name out there, but <laughs> we could all Why rotate. Why don't you just
0: bring your dog in then?
1: Well, I don't think people would be, like, cool with that because it's just, like, then everybody brings in their dogs. But if it's our dog, it's okay. Why does it
0: have to be a dog? I want a snake.
1: That, I don't think – oh, no. I'm going to say – I don't know mm-hmm. that a snake is a good therapy animal because some people are very put off by snakes. And
0: that helps them get over a fear. Um, See? So That's therapy.
1: I think it, sometimes that has the opposite effect of I what I'm so. saying.
0: Isn't so. that, like, helping people get over a fear is therapy? I'll just bring a snake and throw it on people. <laughs> <And> <laughs> a make fake them, snake? No, a real one. Make them quickly get over their fears. I wonder if therapy dogs will take off in law enforcement.
1: I hope so. I'm totally on board with that trend. Would but... you
0: honestly be okay with a therapy dog? You don't think that'd be a distraction?
1: Oh, it'd be like an incredible distraction. Yeah. But like, I don't know. I still like the idea of it. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. I know, right?
0: Well... Welcome back to the podcast, Jen.
1: You know, it honestly wasn't that bad. Yeah, thanks.
0: And we're going to put on a um, lecture from the CIT Knowledge Network. Oh wow! And we've had a few people contact you to join that. And how if they wanted to join these weekly trainings? How would they get a hold of you, Jen?
1: So if you're interested in attending one of the CIT Echo sessions to actually hear live, participate live uh. in the didactic that you're about to hear, you can email me, Jennifer Earhart, at j-e-a-r-h-e-a-r-t at c-a-b-q dot
0: And again, if you guys want to hear us talk about anything or have specific topics on the Knowledge Network or anything, you can always email Jen or myself. You can email me at ask at gocit.org. And thank you guys for listening. Bye. Bye. On that, Dr. Martin.
2: Well, thank you, everybody, for being here today. Um, I'm Nancy Martin. I'm soon to be the medical director of the PES at UNM. And um, I have some experience with um, adults on the autism spectrum disorder. And so I wanted to to speak with you all today about... um, how, how to best approach these people in different scenarios that you might encounter. Um, the entirety of my fourth year of residency was spent working with these patients uh, through the Emory Autism Center, and I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, but I, you know, I'm not an expert. I haven't done specialized training in, in this, um, in terms of ward certification. So um, if there are questions, I'm always happy to take those and take them to people who have more expertise to me, so with that.
0: I'm the background, sorry. I've failed uh, <laughs>
2: <I've laughs> you. So hey, this is my disclosure page. I, I don't have any disclosures. I'm not working with the industry at all. In terms of learning objectives, we're going to define autism spectrum disorder and how that uh, definition has changed recently with the DSM um, that we currently have, the DSM-5. We're going to discuss characteristics and needs of persons, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I will refer to it as ASD. Um, and then reviewing strategies for working with persons with ASD, considering maintenance of officer and community safety. And so um, why should we in law law, and care, law enforcement care about this? Um, well, again, so I think maintaining your safety when you're out in the field and then community safety for both um, Uh, Patients who who may be on the spectrum, but other people as well is really important Um, avoiding litigation, obviously, and then in general, making your job easier because um, we all know you have the most difficult job and uh, these sorts of patients um, have different needs. And so hopefully we'll be able to clarify some of that. So what is autism spectrum disorder? Well, um, it's a biologically based neurodevelopmental disorder that's characterized by impairments in two main areas. So there's the social interaction and communication piece, uh, and that's both verbal and nonverbal issues. And then repetitive, fixated behaviors and restricted interests. So as you can imagine, that's a pretty broad definition. And so to, to be diagnosed with ASD, uh, it's a complex interview that often involves both psychiatrists and psychologists doing a number of tests and, um, frankly, gets missed quite often. So, um, but those are the two main areas that you're going to see deficits in. Um, there are complex behavioral and neurologic along with genetic features to this spectrum disorder. And um, there can be executive function and independent living deficit, certainly. So autism spectrum disorder, um, it, it's basically an umbrella term. Um, for these complex disorders. It used to be called a number of things. It could be called Asperger's, which was basically the referral of somebody who's functioning higher on the spectrum. Um, But then a number of other genetic um, illnesses that go along with ASD were kind of grouped into that. And so the DSM-5 now refers to everything as autism spectrum disorder, um, which I think is really nice because it would get confusing um, for some people. Um, so there is a doctor, uh, Stephen Shore, who's a professor um, in the country, and he, he's a higher functioning on the autism spectrum disorder. And he talks about something that I think is pretty, I like, I like to talk to the residents about it. There's no one person who looks like they have autism. And so oftentimes residents will come to me and say, they look funny, they look like they have autism. Nobody looks funny and has autism. Everybody who has autism looks like the rest of us, unless there's some genetic component um, to the, causing their ASD. Um, so this professor, Stephen um, Shore, says, when you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. So it's, you're not really going to be able to see anything out in the field that's going to clue you into it. It's going to be these two areas of impairment that are going to um, help lead you to that, or that maybe think about that diagnosis. So, so persons with ASD can, can suffer from intellectual disability, but that's not always a component of the disorder. Okay. There can be difficulties in motor coordination and tension, and then some physical health issues, uh, for instance, seizures or GI upset. Um, like I was referring to earlier, there are a lot of genetic illnesses that go along with ASD or cause ASD. The most common one is something called Fragile X syndrome. It's the most common single-gene um, single component uh, that causes ASD, but there's also a number of others. So deletion in the, the 15Q chromosome tuberous sclerosis, and then some other rare genetic abnormalities. But this is a complex illness, so it's not always genetically – there's not always a genetic, and most often there's very rarely a time where you can identify a genetic abnormality. Um, Genetic testing is expensive, and if insurance won't pay for it, or maybe we'll just pay to to see if the patient has fragile X, oftentimes patients and their families don't know um, what's causing autism spectrum. Okay, so why is this important? Um, Well, Autism Speaks, which is a huge advocacy group um, for autism spectrum, has put together this data um, in combination with the National Institute for Health, uh, looking at the prevalence and how it's changed over the years, even from as early as 2004, so it was about estimated one one person in 166, to now, around 2014, it was one in 68. Um, And so, you know, you're looking at the um, darker blue shows you the prevalence and then um, the lighter blue is showing you the total number of persons that are living in our country with autism spectrum. Um, And so it's the fastest growing developmental disability in the United States. And so we're going to see more and more of of these people, especially as they age out of programs. There's a lot of funding. There's a lot of support for children who are on the spectrum, Um, and as they age out of those programs, we really don't have the infrastructure in our country to support adults on the spectrum. And so I think um, interactions with law enforcement professionals will, will become more common. So This kind of speaks a little bit more detail about the epidemiology. So the prevalence of 1 in 68 children, it's more common in boys. So it's about 1 in 42 boys and 1 in 189 girls. And um, there's a lot of suggestions around that. Like I was referring to earlier, Fragile X is one of the most common reasons for somebody to have um, autism when it comes to a genetic abnormality and um, oftentimes because of the way that illness is inherited that affects males more often. So that skews this data a little bit, but that doesn't 100% you know, uh, Account for all of the, the, the reasons why there's more boys than girls research is still trying to answer that. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about each of these areas of impairment and what you might see. Um, these are not something you're gonna get this whole list, and you know, somebody on the spectrum might have all of these, they might have one of these. Um, so it's kind of you know it's gonna it's gonna vary from patient to patient. Um, but like I said, there's there's nonverbal or limited verbal skills. Most of the time, or it's around 50 to 55 percent of um, autism spectrum disorder patients, that they um, are not verbal at all. Um, so that's one of the first key key signs that we see is physicians if there's delay if there's a delay in speech. And there's this avoidance of eye contact, um, something called echolalia where uh, phrases or words are repeated, where there's repetition of body language, so um, things like hand flapping, spinning, other sorts of repetitive, non-purposeful movement. Um, a trouble relating to others in terms of social situations, difficulty on how to read. Uh, facial expression. So uh, for a person who has ASD, recognizing that somebody's sad or angry is not something that they're easily able to do. Um, Whoops, I have that on there twice. Avoidance of eye contact. Um, And then aversion to physical touch uh, as well. So that these these people sometimes um, have grossly uh, paradoxical or opposite reactions um, to maybe receiving a hug, whereas somebody who's not on the spectrum might very much enjoy that. Um, and then they often per- prefer uh, to play uh, alone, and they don't want to play or interact with others. So this is the main things when it comes to social interactions and communications that you might see. We'll go into specifically how that's going to affect how you interact with um, persons who might be on the spectrum. Some of the behaviors that you might see, um, so this, the display in tantrums or extreme distress for no apparent reason. Or, Apparent reason to us. If you don't, if you're not on the spectrum, you might not, you know, understand why they're having a, a tantrum. This incent, insistence on sameness, um, so wanting things to line up, wanting things to look symmetrical. Uh, that's what I mean when I say insistence on sameness. Uh, inappropriate responses to sounds, lights, or touch, both in the hypersensitivity, not liking those things, but also maybe being attracted to them and overly attracted to them. Again, I put avoidance of touch on there because I think it's pretty important for both. Um, social interactions and their behaviors this sustained unusual repetitive play um, So instance um, for instance some of the kids that we see who are on the spectrum um, Spinning of things can be a, a very repetitive play for them. And so they'll spin a plate for two hours um, and, and that can be an indication, you know, that they, they might have ASD inappropriate laughing or giggling inappropriate attachment to specific objects Uh, fascination with water lights and reflections and that'll that'll come up when we talk about the types of calls you might receive with somebody who's on the spectrum and then again this echolalia this repeating of words and phrases over and over and over almost like they love the way that the certain sound um, you creates when they when they speak it and then I already alluded to this the spinning objects or their themselves hand flapping and rocking
1: okay
2: so those are the most commonly observed behaviors in those two symptom domains Um, There was a a film that was done by two wrangling college students, uh, and it was featured in the New York Times, and hopefully we're going to get this to work. Um, But it won a 2014 Adobe Design Achievement Award, and it basically combines um, in an animation form how a nonverbal child with autism and sensory sensitivities might experience the world. And I think it's it's, it's short, um, but I think it's pretty um, clearly indicative. Today we're going to play a game, kind of like the games that we played at school. Look
1: what I got you. I know how much you like animals. Do you see this? This is a cat. How does a cat sound? Ow, ow! And look at this card, lovey. This is a dog. How does a dog go? Woof woof. Can you try to match these cards for me, I don't please? I What dogs? Hello. This is her. Yes.
0: Um, I'm really sorry. What? What do you mean she can't return? Where else are we supposed to go? Really focus. Oh, just, I don't know. It's too loud. Stay with me. Let's look at this new set of cards. It's too loud is be quiet. Can for me?
1: Oh.
2: No, 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 no. It's okay. Mommy, this is okay. Look what I have. I can, we can send that link out for anybody who wants. It's, it's the, the title of the film is called "Listen." It's available on YouTube. Anyway, I think it's a really well done short version of what it is to experience this overwhelming sensory stimulation for a person who's on the spectrum. That even the smallest, um, smallest sound that you and I, um, you know, would experience and, and not think twice uh, about. Number of behaviors that we've talked about. And so one of them uh, oftentimes that I've heard from patients is the sound of the air conditioner. Or the sound of a phone ringing, like you heard in the video, Um, just these small, or the sound of a train going by outside, can be so overwhelming that they cannot continue with their thought process. So I think it's really important to kind of show what it's like for them. So I I referred to this earlier, um, and and some of these things you might see as well in the field, but uh, I thought would be good to spend some time on. Um, So this idea of hypersensitivity or hyposensitivity, and it's not. Well, it's not clearly one or the other all the time. So in terms of senses, um, a lot of patients who are on the spectrum dislike wearing certain articles or types of clothing, specifically wool or anything that's really scratchy, the, the dislike of being touched, this overwhelming sense of you know, sight, sound, smells, or tastes, um, difficulties with sense of movement, so that um, they're more prone to falls, falling down the stairs, tripping on things, and then um, difficulty with fine motor or mo- mo- motor planning um, activities. So I bring that up because some of these people you could imagine how it it might look like they're impaired, Um, might look like they're drunk, Um, whereas, you know, it's really that they have some difficulty with their their motor movement. We talk a lot about the deficits of people who are on the spectrum. I think it's really important to talk about the tremendous strengths that these patients have. Um, Some of the, the most brilliant people in history have been thought to be on the spectrum. Um, and so, one of them is the strength of visual skills, and um, quite frankly, is a very, area, very interesting area of brain, of, of, of you know, brain research in my mind. Um, and we'll talk about a couple of specific examples, but you know, almost the ability to have a, a photographic memory. Um, Memory of details, uh, the ability to focus, the special interests often lead to, um, you know, them becoming experts in certain areas and not intending, not not having any education in a specific area or field, um, but but becoming very very um, proficient in them. This above average intelligence. So again, I want to really want to um, to make the point that patients who are on the spectrum, it's sometimes they have seizures, sometimes they have problems with their GI system, and sometimes they have. Um, you know, um, intellectual disability, but most of the time they don't. Um, these people are follow; they're, they're rule followers. They want to follow um, instructions that are told to them. And um, people in the spectrum have a hard time lying too. So it comes out they're very honest people and um, problem solving ability as well. So I bring up a couple of examples. Um, this man is called the human camera. His name is Stephen Wiltshire. He's a very interesting guy. That's his sister. He lives with his sister who's behind him and he's capable of taking a helicopter trip above a city and then reproducing the entire um, skyline from memory. Um, and so he's done this with almost every city. This is New York. Um, He's done one, um, Mexico City. He was able to reproduce. National Geographic just did a piece on him, and um, they have a video as well. It's fascinating, and he's he's made a living out of this. So I mean, you can imagine um, you can imagine the people would pay a lot of 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 money for this sort of artwork, and that this is how he supports himself. And then I'm sure many of you are familiar with Temple Grandin. Um, she's a woman who's on the spectrum. Who, um, if you know anything about farming, she invented um, the the cattle chutes that basically help farmers who. Um, you know, to produce milk and produce uh, beef, um, help them get cattle going through a certain area. I'm not that, I don't know a lot about farming, but this is her original drawings, and um, she used her knowledge about how um, she prefers, you know, how she prefers um, to be in tight spaces as somebody who's living on the spectrum. um, She likes to sleep in tight spaces, and so she tried to put, she was thinking about how maybe the animal would feel most calm and from my understanding of, of farming and, and cattle farming that the, when they're trying to you know put an animal through a certain area unless there's that tight space there's a lot of opportunity for the animal to become anxious and try and move backwards and so she she was able to really revolutionize this area um, and and um, did so very successfully so she goes about the country talking about her experience with being on the spectrum she's written a number of really excellent books Um, if anybody's interested. So I I really want to highlight the fact that there's a lot of positives about um, being on the spectrum. Now, when it comes to comorbid issues with mental health, there's a number of them. Um, So of course, like any other person, um, people who are on the spectrum can experience depression, anxiety, obsessional thought, and perseverations due to the nature of um, ASD can occur more often. Anger management for not feeling understood or being able to, to, to deal with certain environments can occur. Emotional coping skills can become an issue, stress management, and then loneliness.
1: Um,
2: So all those things happen. It's not uncommon uh, for us to see patients who are on the spectrum who also have a primary psychotic disorder like schizophrenia. There tends to be a lot of overlap um, in them, and um, so psychotic thinking can sometimes be accompanied with these patients as well. Okay, so when it comes to what you all are seeing, what's most typically what, what you're gonna interact with or see or hear? So like I referred to earlier, persons with spectrum, who are on the spectrum, they often appear, they look, you know, perfectly typical, they look perfectly normal. There is no look unless they have a genetic abnormality that's causing them to have a dysmorphic face or, you know, some facial features that look different. There's there's no way that they're going to look. They may not respond to a typical command that you might give them. We'll talk a little bit more about that. And they actually may attempt to move or run away when approached because of that aversion to being touched. They may cover their ears or look away from you, and they have difficulty with eye contact or feeling you know, overwhelmed with, with sensory stimuli. They might have the motor skill problems that will affect their gait and may, make them look intoxicated perhaps. And then they may display unusual or repetitive physical movements with the rocking or the hand flapping. They might see this as well. So what are the calls that you're typically going to get? Most common ones um, for assistance are going to come in terms of missing persons. So 49% of children on the spectrum elope at some times. They wander. Um, They might see something that's really interesting to them and they leave not knowing some of the consequences that might come. with. I mean, children who aren't on the spectrum do this as well. One-third of those uh, patients aren't able to communicate their name, address, and phone, which is pretty terrifying. And then 91% of deaths related to wandering with persons on the spectrum is caused by drowning, and that's more related to this. Um, uh, patients on the spectrum really go towards water, towards lights in some in some ways, and so they'll go towards a water source not knowing the danger of it and end up drowning. Um, oftentimes there's odd behavior on another's property, so again, knowing that social... Uh, boundary of this is not my property. I shouldn't sit on this doesn't really apply to, you know, to a, somebody who's on the spectrum. So somebody may, you know, Somebody on the spectrum might be trying to access gain access to a home or sitting outside on a swing. Um, so you might get calls about that. Splashing in water fountains, like I said, the swings in the sides more about that sensory stimulation for them and while that might be normal for us to see children in a playground, uh, swinging or sliding, it could be perhaps distressing to parents of children um, to see a, you know, an adult person who has autism spectrum doing these behaviors, and so you might get calls about that. Um, oftentimes, there's that need for order, and so there are typically calls about somebody who's on the spectrum making order of you know, in a grocery store, if there's a display where things are backwards or not in the way that they want them, you can imagine that that might turn into this person's um, trying to steal something. You might get called about a shoplifting complaint. And then again, the missing persons. Um, international border inspections, airport, any, any sort of building or event security checkpoint, those are areas where persons who are on the spectrum might have difficulties. Um, and you can imagine, too, the presence of K9 partners at the security checkpoints would be distressing as well. So you, these are the typical calls that you're going to get. So we'll talk about um, ways that you can maybe alter your response. Uh, If you suspect or know somebody to be on the spectrum. So uh, like most things in medicine, we use an acronym for it. Um, And so this one's autism. So we'll just start with a um, With the approach you want to approach in a quiet non-threatening manner. You want to avoid quick motions and gestures that might be perceived as threatening to these people. To understand that they You know, very much want to avoid physical contact. So um, I'm sure this is one that you all don't do very often, but I'm not touching the person on the head or the shoulders. That would be really important for them.
0: That's right upon.
2: Yeah. And then talking. um, Talking, uh, you want to keep a moderated, calm voice. Keep your language very short, simple, and concrete. Know that you might have to repeat yourself and allow some response time. Um, The other thing in this is that persons on the spectrum really struggle with metaphors and slang. So things like um, saying, you know, do you think that's cool? Or what have you got up your sleeve? Things that you and I might say to each other and understand, you know, people who speak English as a primary language might understand. This is really difficult for persons on the spectrum to understand and make sense of. And they take things very literally. Um, for instance, I had a patient um, my fourth year who didn't get the concept. He was on the spectrum and very intelligent, but could not understand the differences between up, above, below. Um, he, he didn't get that concept, and so you, you would have to really be specific with your language and speaking with him. So if you all were to say, like, up against the wall, you might imagine how it would be pretty confusing for somebody who takes that literally, okay? So you want to try and avoid that slang in general. And so to give you some examples of this, we've got um, a couple of Australian slings. Who, who, who's who, got a very good Australian accent? I think Matt. I think Matt. Oh, Matt, Matt, Matt,
0: I'm, Matt. Matt correct. Correct? I'm just going to just completely, you know. It's
2: okay. Try yeah.
0: it. Did you put the tags in the bait? <laughs> nice. That's more English. Perfect. Did you put the tags in the bait? Oh, wow. No, keep going. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, let me just make any other... Countries or, or races or just something. Just do whatever.
2: <laughs> That's pretty good. So, what do you imagine that means, Matt?
0: Um, did you? I have no clue what a tag would be. Like the tongue, Tog, 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 tog. Togs. Oh, are you the togs in the boots? Yeah. Did you put the boots in the boots? I would your think feet? just your 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 tongues of your shoes, maybe. Okay. Going back in the boot. Okay. Huh.
2: How about this one?
0: That one's easy. <laughs> You wanna read that one? Yabbies or snags for tea. There we go. Wow. Getting it's getting better. It's getting better. Okay. Oh, what do
2: you wow. think that one means?
0: That means like do you want yabbies or snags for tea? That's <laughs> <laughs> pretty substantial. Okay. And this
2: is the last one.
0: Whose turn is it to shop for ice cream?
2: That's perfect. <laughs> yeah,
0: they got wow. better they, as you progressed. What <laughs> yeah, this what, so still what in do you Australia. mean? <laughs> 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 I think
2: she's getting really nice. got a tour of England <laughs> I appreciate your practice. So what do you think that last one means?
0: Who's in a order ice?
2: Okay. So it's interesting to me that rather that you provided an answer before you actually really even knew. Rather than saying I have no idea, right? You wanted to give an answer. And so this really speaks more towards when you're interviewing somebody on the spectrum. We're not gonna go into that today, but how metaphor this is how some of these metaphors that we don't we don't think about. Um, this is how they sound to persons on the spectrum. So that first one is, did you put the bathing suit in the trunk? That's what the togs and the boot are.
0: Huh. <laughs> did you put the bathing suit in, in the, the trunk? trunk?
2: Yabbies or snags for tea? They have a whole tea. phrase for mm-hmm. that. Yeah. <laughs> Yab- yabbies, <laughs> and <snags.
0: laughs>
2: yabbies and snags is um, shrimp or sausage for dinner.
0: Do you know which one is which?
2: Uh, I think shrimp is yabbies. Yabbies mm-hmm. or snags for tea?
0: Wow, well, you got it <laughs> <Yeah, yeah>, <laughs> <laughs>
2: And then this last one, whose turn is it to shout for ice cream? <laughs> <laughs> whose turn is it to buy the ice cream? Oh, you got
0: that, that one. One of is good. That's I, cool. Cool. I know, cool. Cool. I know it cool. Cool. ice cream in <laughs> Australia. It's, it's English. I'm <laughs> no, it wasn't English.
2: <laughs> OK, so getting back to our acronym. So the S stands for SEEK. So you want to look at, you know, all indicators to the the situation as it's unfolding. I know you all do that anyway, Um, but be willing to adjust your actions accordingly. So for me, I had a patient come in um, to our emergency room when I was working in downtown Atlanta, and I knew he was on the spectrum. He was brought in by his father, Um, and we have a very, you know, set way about how we Interview somebody, and typically involves a nurse going to do the triage, and then m- m- myself and you know maybe some other uh, health worker coming with me to, to interview them. And this person was so agitated, one because he was in a small t- he was in this tiny little room, which might not have been distressing to anybody else, it was very distressing to him. And he was rocking and his hand he was doing a lot of hand flapping, a lot of behavioral um, issues. He could not sit down to talk to me. And his dad told me he really likes chips, and so I went and got a bag of chips for him, and he was able to sit down and talk with me a little. I mean, enough for me to, to do an evaluation with him. And so you have to be willing to adjust your actions. I don't buy chips for every patients I see. You know, it's just not something that is part of my protocol. But um, you have to be willing to adapt you know, your actions accordingly you with these sorts of patients. And then visually evaluate for injuries with persons on the spectrum because oftentimes they're not able to communicate them um, or they're not able to ask for help in this way. So your role is very important as a first responder. And then finally, maintain. So keep a safe distance until appropriate behaviors lessen. So if you um, you know, come to a scene and there's um, you know, somebody who's having um, you know behavioral disturbance, don't try to don't don't try to stop it. If they, oftentimes patients who are on the spectrum need to have um, some sort of outburst, whether it's verbal or physical, um, and you know keep that safe distance until the behavior's lessen. And then remain alert that impulsive behaviors or outbursts can occur at any time as well. This kind of summarizes all of that. Um, if you're approaching in a vehicle, avoiding using lights and sirens. I know this has been mentioned with other patients um, in different, you know, different areas specifically with persons living with um, traumatic brain injury, but this is the same sort of thing as that sensory over overstimulation. <laughs> okay. So there's these cards um, that a lot of states will provide. Um, and it's a nice way, given that so many persons on the spectrum aren't verbal. And this, you should, you encounter them in a wandering situation. Um, if you know, if you, if you're in contact with families or persons on the spectrum, I would encourage you to to encourage them to get some sort of ID. So whether that's a personal ID card, a medical ID bracelet, even safety tattoos. But these cards are issued. I know it's a little extreme, but what is a safety tattoo? It basically saying I have autism spectrum. Really?
0: Yes. This is a real thing.
2: Yes. And I obviously it's people who are able to consent to that sort of thing. But this card does just the same thing. It's
0: um, a lot of knuckles. There's.
2: And so every state has different ones. I know that um, in Massachusetts they issue a instead of a driver's license, they'll do an autism um, hmm. license as well that has the picture and has an address and has a phone number, which is nice that they. Typically a physician has to fill out a form saying that the person has autism spectrum disorder. But these are available online. And there's a reverse side that basically has something that you can fill in a name and an address as well.
0: Do you, sorry to interrupt, but so are you guys still passing these out? Because you were, right? Yeah, we still make these a lot, for people with autism. Oh, do you? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: That's great.
0: And and so like if if you um, identify sorry, this is Dan Duhig. If you identify that somebody has autism spectrum disorder, you just kind of you you ask them if they want it, you give it to them, and you teach them how to present it to law enforcement. We're yeah. the first responders. Okay. we give them just a little, kind of like a tip sheet on how to present it. Like we don't want people, especially if someone has a flat affect or odd behaviors, just be reaching in their pocket the moment they see a cop. Right. So, know? so what do you teach them? What do you prompt them? Just that to, to ask officers, "Can I show you an, an ID, or can I show you something?" Can you show you my card. Okay. And we say to keep it like in your wallet or a normal place where you keep an ID. ID or uh-huh. wear around your neck if you want to. If someone's really bad. But this is also—you have to have someone that's lived with autism that's willing, right, to share that to too. Close. That's what I was kind of surprised about the tattoos, because a lot of times people, what I've noticed, is well, maybe it's not autism. This is—it's really popular with autism, especially with children. But other major mental illnesses, it's like people have the stigma. I don't want to be card-carrying right. a member of of having an illness. Mm-hmm.
2: I think this one's in, mostly important, and I can imagine it happening more often in. Um... Patients who are not verbal for their for their family members to have some identif- something that, that can identify them if, if if their caregiver wasn't there with them to help guide the persons interacting with them. What questions just have come up?
0: Um the you to to your sides. Sides. just do that. Oh sorry.
1: I guess I should probably do those if I was going to answer questions. Um Javier had a question. He says, How young can you diagnose? (laughs) How young can you diagnose someone with
2: ASD? Yeah, that's a really great question and that's a changing response. So right now there's a lot of really interesting uh, work going into in, in infant work, um, looking at eye tracking and uh, trying to see if there's an association with persons who are later later go on to d- to be diagnosed with autism spectrum and um, difficulties with eye tracking. So I know at Emory University they're doing they're they're diagnosing with this study as early as six months. Um, yeah. You know, for most people, it's you're going to start seeing deficits in uh, language communication or physical abnormalities as early as two. Um, but like I like we were talking about last week, um, there are a lot of people who are going undiagnosed um, for, for you know until adulthood, and those are those are obviously people who are um, higher higher functioning on the spectrum. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a wide range, but there's really interesting research going on right now about um, infants. I don't
0: know if there's any questions. Do so you, you think
1: that the? Can you answer that, Lauren with DPD. Sorry. Do you think that, like, when you were talking about your statistics, and you saying that 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 the amount of people with it is going up, Mm -hmm. you think that's because we can? identify it at six months or it's a
2: great question or is it it both it's both it does not so our increased recognition and diagnosis and then the expansion i think too of what is autism in terms of a diagnosis um does not account for the 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 increase in prevalence so there is something else going on there's no evidence to support the vaccines cause autism
0: that's good to say yeah there is
2: zero evidence in fact the evidence that came out um that supported that claim has since been you know uh, it has come forth that that was all that data was all made up and that person's lost their license so but and we don't know i mean the, we, we just don't know
0: we get that a lot i have a question Matt Timothy apd when we because i'm sure this comes up in medicine but if we have to go hands-on for whatever reason like um, a safety check a pat down or to arrest somebody. So it involves a physical contact. Do you have any tips on that? Mm. Like, should we explain what we're doing, or should we? Sometimes in law enforcement training, it's more of a surprise tactic if someone's acting odd.
2: Mm. Yeah, I, that's a really great question. Please pipe in anybody else who's had... I, most of the time I'm seeing the, the person after they've been brought to the hospital. Um, but in my experience, I think inter, in, introducing yourself and saying what you're going to do is is the best thing with patients on the spectrum. Now, there are times with um, you know, behavioral outbursts, so it's not, not going to matter. You're going to just have to you know, right. do what you need to do to make sure the person's safe, to make sure the officer's safe. Um, but I would imagine clearly and very simply communicating what you have to do with